trip of a lifetime while raising awareness of the needs of children in the foster system through a partnership with Children's Hope Alliance. This is Ron Clements and joining me today on the Home Run on Wheels hotline, yeah I just made that a thing, is former Major League Baseball umpire Gary Darling. Welcome Gary. Thank you Ron, good morning, how are you? Doing very well. Gary, you are the president of the board for Ump's Care, which is something I didn't even know about until I saw a tweet back in August about some umpires visiting a children's hospital in St. Louis. That made me look it up because I didn't realize umpires, who are largely anonymous, even did that kind of charity work. How did Ump's Care begin? Uh, we've been doing it for uh, 15 years or so. Um, it's kind of morphed into what it is today, but it, it started out with uh, actually as part of a labor dispute where, uh, you know, back in 99, a bunch of us, a bunch of guys lost their jobs. I was one of them, and some of the guys who were still working started uh, the Helping Hand Fund, which was. Uh, collecting money to help, you know, support the guys that lost their job and were out of paycheck. Some of us got our jobs back. So when we got our jobs back, you know, we decided to try and uh, continue and leave that part of it. So not everybody got their jobs back at the time. There were still more than half the guys without a job, and a lot of them never did get their jobs back. But uh, so we did a, you know, a little golf tournament, tried to raise a little money to, you know, help the guys. And then as the years went by, we decided to try and expand it, and there was a group of umpires that, that had started Blue for Kids that were doing some, you know, small-scale hospital visits and ticket programs, having kids out to the ballpark. So I'm scared Blue for Kids morphed into uh, what it is now. So now we're, uh, you know, a full 501c3 nonprofit with, uh, you know, numerous programs that we support. And it's really umpires trying to give back to communities around the country where they live and around major big cities and so we do you know hospital visits we do uh, have kids up to the ballpark we, we give out uh, 30 to 40,000 a year in scholarships to kids that were adopted later in life uh, we still help umpires in need families in need uh, on a case-by-case basis but the gist of it is now uh, you know basically kid-based in hospitals and having people out to the ballpark. That's excellent. Uh, have you been involved with Umpscare from the beginning? Yeah, yep. Um, I wasn't part of the helping hand fund. I was on the outside of that. And luckily, was uh, my wife got a job teaching right away and continued to teach. And I got my real estate license, so we weren't, you know, in the the dire straits as some of the guys were. But once, uh, yeah, once uh, I got my job back and trying to mend some uh, ill feelings from the labor dispute and all that kind of stuff, I've, I've been involved with Umpscare. The inception, yeah. wasn't always the president. Larry Young was the president, but when he left the field, I was the most senior guy still involved, so that's how uh, I became the president of Umpscare, of our board anyway, not of Umpscare, but of the board. And uh, when was that? Uh, when did Larry leave the field? Boy, it's been seven, eight years. Oh, okay. Heck, I've been off the field. more than that then, probably, because I've been off the, been off the field for five. So it's probably been ten years I've been the president. Okay. Now, what really got my attention about Umpscare, and you kind of touched on it, was the Blue Crew Tickets Program, which works with foster care organizations to get kids out to games. How did that get started? Well, it was, uh, the, you know, the Dave Thomas Foundation. Our executive director, Samuel Durst, had, our former executive director, Samuel Durst, had a relationship with the Dave Thomas Foundation, one of the 
one of the umpires whose wife had been adopted, and they worked with Dave Thomas in the Columbus, Ohio area. So they, you know, they were kind of a natural fit, and then uh, big brothers and big sisters, another natural, you know, national uh, natural fit with us. Uh, we kind of expanded that to some of the other programs along those lines, like Casey Cares and Most Valuable Kids and Hope Kids and Tickets for Kids. There's there's a ton of different nonprofits out there that uh, you know have the same uh, passion you do, and I'm scared of as far as just helping out you know, some of the less advantaged. We do stuff with the military also. We do some stuff with the USO, military-based kind of thing. So it's expanded a little bit just than just all kids, but it's still, you know, 90%, 95% dealing with kids. Not always in the foster care, but, you know, with medical issues and stuff like that. Cool. Yeah, we were able to get foster kids out to games in Miami, Detroit, Milwaukee, Minneapolis, Denver, and in St. Louis when we ended our trip. Uh, it's pretty rewarding, isn't it, when you see those kids at a baseball game for the first time? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh a lot of them, yeah, they just the first time ever going to a game. So, yeah, it's, uh, and we have, we try and get them down to the, we, they usually, the, somebody, a representative of the ball club will, you know, meet them at the ticket one, they'll bring them down to the room, so they'll come into the room and, uh, we'll, you know, show them the equipment in our locker room and their, you know, their eyes just, the, you know, major league umpire room is, uh, pretty well stocked with refreshments, you might say. Um, they like that. And we give them a goodie bag too. We give them a little uh, gift card so they can buy some you know, stuff. But we also give them a goodie bag with, you know, cracker jacks and sunflower seeds, and uh, we give them a hat, uh, stuff on fire related. But yeah, this first time, that guy. Well, I was never on a major league field until I was on a major league field as an umpire. But you know, really, then we we take them out. We take them out onto the field, and you know, they get to stand out there. Some sit in the dugout. Every now and then, a player will come by, and they'll get some pictures with the players. You can imagine they're probably more excited to see the players than umpires, but uh, <laughs> it's a lot of these kids, you know, they're in foster care and they haven't had a chance to play catch with their dad. You know, they have sponsors and big brothers and that kind of stuff, so it depends on what the big brother's into. So, yeah, a lot of time it is their, you know, first experience. Yeah, but we did a we did a really nice video a few years ago that's on our website, which is com. And there's a nice bit of a gift, kind of gives the overview of what we do. And some of the kids exciting, you know, out on the grass and the field and all that. It's, it's pretty rewarding for sure. Yeah, it's special. And you were actually part of a pretty special game as an umpire back in 2003 when Roger Clemens won, won his 300th game and recorded his 4,000th strikeout. What was that day like as someone who was behind the plate for such an, for such a big moment or moments? Yeah, usually when, you know, guys involved with the game, you know, usually, you know, guys will have, uh, you know, Barry Bonds' 70th home run or whatever he had or something, you know, Biggio's 3,000. Usually they kind of equate the guy behind the plate for that game. So, yeah, it was that game. We, we had tried a couple times and hadn't got there. And then finally we had We were in New York, and he was pitching the game. It was the Cardinals, actually. And, uh, yeah, I was behind the plate. So, you know, it's just, just kind of luck of the draw, obviously. It's not like it's still Rogers going for 3,000 strikeout or whatever the numbers were. Um the split Caridani back there. It's kind of luck of the draw, but it's still pretty cool to be part of some of the history games of Major League Baseball. Yeah, when you reflect back on your career, is, is, is that day one of the highlights, or is there another one that, that really sticks out? It's like, wow, I worked this game. That was really cool. Well, back in 98, uh, when uh, McGuire and Sosa were battling out for the home run title, again, luck of the draw, but our crew was in, uh, in St. Louis for the Labor Day weekend. And uh, so we were there when uh, McGuire hit 60, 61, and 62. I had to play for 61. Steve Ripley, the crew chief, had uh, 62. So, you know, those kinds of things are pretty cool. 
you know, working, you know, after losing my job and not having the World Series before I lost my job and then getting my job back in 2002 and then working the World Series in 03. You know, those are the kind of things that are probably more rewarding than, you know, just by the luck of the draw having, you know, the plate when, you know, Clemens had his big day or, you know, we were, you know, I was working second base from Biggio, got his 3,000 kids, you know, things like that. But more, you know, the, I was really getting my first World Series after being out of the game and, you know, everybody thinking you, know, you got part of that latest because you want a good umpire. There's way more to it than going than that. But anyway, now there's, it's nice to be part of baseball and, uh, you know, some of the history stuff. Now, did you have a favorite player or manager you always enjoyed seeing at the park? Uh, I don't know, enjoyed seeing. Well, those guys, you got along better than ever. You know, Jim Tracy was a long time. He was with the Louis Ben Schroes for a long time. And then he managed in Colorado. He managed, uh, what else did Jim manage? He managed, uh, a few different places. And, you know, I always got along with him pretty well. You know, early early in my career when Pinella, Lou Pinella came over to the National League, we didn't get along so well. But later, <laughs> and later in uh, my career, his career, he kind of calmed down a little bit, and maybe maybe I got to be a better umpire. Who knows? But uh, you know, we we got along okay. Jimmy Leland, his my first year up and down were in 1986 and 87. Well, Leland was first year managing the Pirates was in '86, so I was a new kid on the block. He was a new kid on the block. We kind of butted heads a little bit, but then. Later in our careers, it was uh, you know, a little more mutual respect there. So, you know, they got a job to do. We got a job to do. You just don't like the guys that always want to sit over there and nitpick and whine about every little thing. Don't give you a chance to do your job and take things personally when things go against them and things like that. That's, that's not fun. And, you know, the players that on an alibi all the time and, you know, you don't really have very much time for those kind of guys. But there's obviously some class ball players and that uh you know, maybe they get ejected every now and then but they weren't assholes about it, dickheads about it or whatever. They just you know, they didn't agree with the pitch and they carried a little too far and circumstances they could have they got ejected. So as a kid growing up I would say Mays was probably my well Mays was my favorite player. But uh actually got to work an old timers game one time when Mays was playing and they a friend of mine who was working the plate in that game called him out on a chest swing, and I thought the place was going to burn down for getting Willie Mays on a chest <laughs> in an old game. But, you know, he did swing. But I think that same game, actually, Jock O'Connor was working with us. You can picture that. All friend Jock O'Connor, he had to be in his 80s at the time. He worked third base with us that day. He had a line drive that hit his feet, and he jumped over it, kind of hopped over it, and swung the ball there. And I'm like, oh, my God, that would have hit, that might have hit me if I was working third base. So. That was pretty cool, working with Jocko. Yeah, so can't complain about uh, missing anything with baseball in the career and all that. Right. We were actually in St. Louis uh, in the game against the Brewers when Chris Carpenter got thrown out, and then Mike Schilt got thrown out. Uh, I don't know what transpired there, but Carpenter was arguing balls and strikes, and then he clearly said a magic word. Well, I mean, you're obviously a baseball fan, and... uh, you know, watch the games and everything. You know, you just can't call strikes on anybody. They, everybody, everybody's completely dialed into that little rectangle that the TV shows and they have down in their little, you know, video rooms, media rooms right down below the dugout that, uh, if that box shows the ball missed it by however some of Mark and they, they look at you now like you have eight heads. Like, how could you call that pitch? <laughs> I mean, yeah, do the guys get every pitch right? Absolutely not. But I tell you what, their, their percentages by how they're graded through 
the the websites or the the data that MLB uses, they're all 94, 95% accurate. So, I mean, just, you know, sometimes guys get a little tighter than others and uh, not about the strikes on the, you know, the players. And you watch baseball, I mean, if you call strikes on a guy, they, they, you just can't call strikes anymore. You could be, as an umpire, you know, if the pitch was close, you, you, were, you were taught to think strikes. Now, right. you know, it's almost the opposite now. They think ball before they think strike. Yeah, I mean, when I played baseball in high school, the the rule of thumb was always, hey, if it's close and you have two strikes, swing. Oh, no doubt. I mean, that means, I mean the pitches that are, quote-unquote, missing the plate by an inch, I mean, that, that's, a, that's a very hittable pitch. <laughs> yeah. They're just, they're just waiting for the one right down Broadway in that certain zone that their analytics show that they uh, – have a high percentage hidden. So now, when you guys go visit kids at hospitals or you have kids out to the ballpark, do they ever ask you about having to eject a player or a manager? Does that come up? Oh, they every now and then, yeah. I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, they. Some of them are way more knowledgeable about baseball than others. Like, you know, some of them, they really, they just haven't had a chance to develop a love for a, a sport. You know, they're just they're in a bad place. They're you know foster home to foster home. So you know, baseball is not always there first choice in the day but you know that's kind of how we you know we just want to you never know you, you, you one of the kids comes through there might end up being a, a player an umpire or a coach or someone just trying to introduce them to the game a little bit and, and uh let them see that it's you know we're not all bad guys <laughs> they, a lot of them had no idea some of them would come through they really didn't even know who we were they thought they were just going to the game and they got taken down the hallway to this room and four old guys in there and <laughs> they, you know, but then, you know, when I was doing that, like I said, I've been off the field for five years, but I would let them try on our equipment. Obviously, you know, I'm almost 6'4". My shin guards kind of come up to their waist, some of these kids, but, uh, you know, put them on there and then lightly toss them, you know, put a mask on them and tell them not to blink when the ball hits their mask. So we have fun with them, let them rub up the baseballs, and, and then uh, we'll put that one, you know, use that ball to start, one of the balls that they rub up to start the game with. Nice. That's pretty good looks for some of the pitchers when that the first ball's out there's been all muddied up pretty good by the kids rubbing it up. I've seen they just some of them some of the pitchers like the dark ball, some pitchers they're a little finicky, they don't like them too dark either. So I've seen them throw a ball that you would think a pitcher would love to throw, they they'll throw it out. Now you mentioned technology and the way the game has changed uh in terms of like the how teams look at balls and strikes and uh replay is that the biggest way you've seen the game change since your first time calling a Major League Baseball game in 1986? I was, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, what do you think of replay? I think it's a little over the overkill. I mean, it was originally they always talked about, you know, they want that big miss. Uh, you know, Jimmy Joyce, who was uh, one of the best umpires in, uh, in baseball for a long time, and well respected by the players. And you know, he had that play in Detroit years ago where he called the guy safe, the replay showed he was out. So, you know, they, they want to replay to kind of fix those misses. Now it's more than the, the guy hits the base and his foot pops off it by an eighth of an inch and the glove stays on and it goes to replay and now he's out because his foot came off the base. I think it's just, it's overkill. It's just, I mean, nobody wants to be the guy that has that play that, you know, ends the World Series or, you know, whatever. You know, it's nice to have that little uh, safety net, but, it's, I think I mean it's trying to get this overkill on a lot of stuff. I mean they were Brian Gorman had a couple of just complete whackers at first base. He got them both right without replay. And they had a long time looking at it 
looks for a click on to see if he missed it. And, you know, and that announces, well, he's clearly safe, or he's clearly out, whatever way the call goes. You know, clearly Mike Short. <laughs> in fast motion, fast action, that's, there's nothing clear about that. You know? Right. I think, it's, I, mean, I think the guys are used to it. My I, my last year working was 2013, and the full-blown replay started in 14, so I never, never, you know, dealt with it on the field. We had, you know, the, the boundary calls replay where we'd go into the stadium and look at a little... 10-inch square TV that just wasn't HD in some cases trying to decipher whether a ball hit a yellow line or a fan interfered. You know, now it's all done centrally in New York where they got, you know, big, big high definition TVs to help get the calls right, you know. All right. But like I said, I think it's just, I think it's just overkill. It's good in some cases, but I think it's just, now every time they have a play, you see the manager stand up, hold his hand up, and everybody stops and looks in the dugout and waits for them to say whether they're going to sound or not. And, all that. I think it's just, just over the top. It's not as bad as the NFL or the NBA uh, when they uh, take forever to look at a play. I mean, when they're trying to figure out whether a foul is a flagrant one or a flagrant two in the NBA, that just kills a basketball for me. Well, uh, I think college football is probably the worst for it. And I understand, you know, you want to get the plays right, you want to get the calls right and all that. I get that. But, I mean, they, they stop them and look at their every play. I mean, it's just it just kills the momentum of the game. And what do they have? What do they use that machine for to eventually call balls and strikes? And we all be kind of somewhat ignorant to think it's not going to ever happen because ever is a long time. But the technology is definitely not there yet. Not in not in real time. It's not. Now we're in October, so do you care to offer a World Series prediction? But uh, I should tell you though that I am a Wisconsin native. Well, it's good for you. You like Brock? Uh, of course, I like brush. <laughs> don't you? Who <laughs> doesn't? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know who's going to umpire the World Series. I don't know who they're going to pick. It. They haven't. I don't think they've completely decided what the umpires are going to be. No, I'm talking about the teams. <laughs> you knew what I was asking. I did. <laughs> well, I'm an umpire. I'm not a. I'm not a fan of a particular team. So I really got. I really don't know. I really would be just a complete yes. As someone who is a Major League Baseball umpire for almost 30 years, and now you're watching games on television, how do you watch a game? Do you watch a game as a fan, or do you watch a game as an umpire? I would still think more as an umpire, but not probably as much as I did look at it as an umpire when I was working. You know, I'm not as a, uh, a fan of a team, and I still like the game. But I don't I don't watch many games. You know, we live in the Phoenix, you know, my wife, you know, she likes the Diamondbacks and more have games on sometimes. But just wouldn't watch the whole game, no. Very, very rarely. You know, I kind of follow it on online with, you know, either MLB or different websites that, you know, there's the website out there, Coast Call Sports. I'll kind of follow that along because that's more umpire based. So, and they actually, uh, for every like we get on, uh, and every new like, Coast Call Sports Facebook space gets, they're going to donate a dollar to, to, uh, Umpscare in our hundred, on our golf marathon that everybody's in the process of fundraising for right now. Now, what is that Facebook page again? Uh, Close Call Sports. All right, and the website is umpscare.com. Correct. All right. So if you want to learn more about Umpscare, Close Call Sports on Facebook and umpscare.com. Gary, it was a real pleasure speaking with you, uh, and thank you so much for joining the Home Run on Wheels podcast. It was a real pleasure. Thanks, Ron. I appreciate having me on. Good luck to you, and uh, I guess we'll since for your sake, huh? Right, exactly. Be sure to come back next week on the Home Runner Wheels podcast when my guests will be sports writer and author Jeff Perlman.
Have a great week, and as always, thanks for listening.